Off the Ball. Find us on Twitter at Off the Ball. News Talk 106 to 108. All right, Andy Lee has joined me in studio. Evening. Evening, Nathan. No shortage of boxing stories to talk through this week. Jason Quigley is also on the line. Evening, Jason. All right now, lads, how's things? So uh, you're one of the more regular guests here on Off The Ball, Jason, over the last few years, and you always come on, as you have this evening, with that big smile, and you've been keeping us up to date with the progress throughout your career, and it's all been very positive. You'd be forgiven if you didn't want to take the call this evening, I think, after the first defeat of your professional career last weekend. First of all, I guess, most importantly, how are you physically? Yeah, I'm 100%, so I'm a few black eyes around here, but... We all know that's part of the game, and that's that's the sport we're in. And you know, I'm lucky that that's the only that's the only problems that I've come out of the fight was. Yeah. So it was the first time you lost in your pro career. Your coach Dominic Ingle called time in your fight with Toriano Johnson after nine rounds in California. If physically, then you're not feeling too bad. Mentally, with almost a week now to think about it and consider what happened. How's that going? Yeah. It's um. It's. I was actually not too sure there recently whether has it hit me yet or what's the kind of what way am I meant to be feeling because obviously after my fight I went down in LA for a few days just to chill out and relax before I came home and um, to be honest you know I have yet to kind of which is something I'm a wee bit unsure about is I've yet to kind of get that real sunken sick feeling in my stomach that would have happened to me you know years ago whether that's maturity whether that's growing up whether that's understanding that things are the way they are and you know we just have to manage the way we deal with it and push forward in a more positive sense and um, I think that has helped me in a lot of ways to kind of deal with this loss to recent date you know what I mean but to be honest, you know, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm feeling pretty positive about things, as positive as I can be about things. You know, obviously it was a, it was a major kind of a step back for me in my career to get that loss against Toriano. And, um, you know, it's something that I haven't really, to be truthfully honest, I haven't really sat down and thought on it 100% yet because there's going to be a lot of things that I have to think about and there's going to be a lot of things that I have to address and for me to do that you know I want to do it at the right time and I want to do it when everything is a, a little bit more settled. So for anyone maybe who, who missed this last weekend, Toriano Johnson, a 35 year old from the Bahamas, very experienced fighter, only lost twice in his nine year pro career. I know pre-fight you were saying that you thought this would be the toughest opponent of your career but you were still a very strong favourite to win that fight. What went wrong? Yeah, well, I suppose this is the first time that I've come face to face with this question, what went wrong. Um, to be honest, just quickly looking back into things in my own head and everything, I got drawn into a fight and I got drawn into a fight that suits Turiano. I got drawn into something that uh, was more than likely his game plan and I think it might have been a little bit of um, might have been a little bit of, you could say, mentally not being strong enough to stick to my boxing, but at the same time, he was very difficult to keep off me. He was very difficult to to keep on the outside. 
And obviously, you know, I tried to mix it up with them. I tried to fight with them a little bit as well. And, you know, I heard Andy's analysis on it there the last night on Off the Ball too, that I was getting caught a little bit coming out with my head held high. And, you know, and that's me not even really looking back on anything properly yet. So these are just a few things that I have looked back on briefly that seem to have, uh, that they came to the top already, that has risen to the top of my mind already. But, you know, Turiano came in with a game plan, stuck to his game plan, it worked perfectly for him. I came in with a game plan, didn't stick to it 100%, and it didn't work out for me. And there's a few things to look at now, there's a few things to put in place and to write wrongs in, and uh, we've got to push forward, we've got to move on to the next one in. Jason, you mentioned um, he had a game plan, you had a game plan. Did you expect that type of fight from, from, from Johnson, that he would come forward? And what, what was your game plan going into the fight? Yeah, well, I, I watched a few tapes on him, and I've never seen anything really too different from Turiano than, than coming forward. I didn't expect him to be as aggressive as he was. I knew he was going to be aggressive, but I didn't expect it to the extent that he actually was. And um, my game plan obviously was to kind of keep him on the back, not keep him on the back foot, but to keep him at that distance, like I did for the first two rounds, to keep him at that distance, to kind of box and move him. But I think that I needed to do it a little bit more relaxed, a little bit more at a slower pace. And put up probably a little bit more into my shots because I was hitting him and he didn't care if he was getting hit. You know what I mean? Whether that's just the type of him, whether my shots were having no effect on him, whether I wasn't putting enough into my shots to make him think twice about coming forward. I'm not 100% yet as I haven't looked back into full detail on it, but. You know, that was my game plan to kind of keep him at the outside, to kind of outbox him, because I know I am capable of outboxing him. Um, but his pressure was relentless, and I kind of fell into his game plan too early on, and I didn't get out of it again. Yeah, you spoke about having a look at things in terms of assessing things. Have there ever been any thoughts about changing team or... How, like in terms of your preparation, I know you're over there before Dominic Ingle arrived, and sometimes there's he's he's kind of spread thin with his commitments. Um, is that something that you considered? Um, obviously, I haven't really thought too much on anything yet. As I said, I want to. I, I've only flew back in from LA yesterday, so I'm still a wee bit jet lagged and everything like that to be uh, to be sitting down and kind of putting everything pen to paper as I want to do and seeing where I can go right and see where I can maybe fix a few things. Look, we did the best that we could in training camp. Dominic gave me a game plan. I tried to stick to it to the best of my ability, and that was trying to outbox Toriano. As I said, I didn't get into things too much. Kind of fell out of my game plan too early in the fight in my in my own eyes from what I what I've already looked back on. But there's definitely going to be things that I need to look at. There's definitely going to be some changes that I need to make, and I'll be looking to do them and to make them over the over the next few weeks. When when the fight was stopped, when when Damien called the fight off, what was your initial reaction or feeling in that moment? Um. To be honest, Dominic, 
I haven't watched the fight back or anything like that. I don't know what uh, people could have been listening or hearing, but Dominic did say to me, as soon as the ninth round was over, he, you know, he asked me and he said, Jason, are you okay? Is everything okay? Do you want to continue? And of course, you know, as a fighter, there was no way I was going to say no because being honest, there wasn't any stage in that fight where I was dazed, where I was hurt, where I was rocked. I know I, he caught me a lot of big shots and he, he caught me with plenty of them as well at the same time, but there was... Being 100% honest, there was no real stage in any part of the fight where I felt dazed, I felt dizzy, I felt rock, where I felt I'm in deep trouble here. Um, so I was always, I was always aware, I was always there, I was always, you know, 100% intact and ready to, ready to keep on fighting. But sometimes it can be, and I think you know yourself, it's going to be hard for a boxer to, to say no or to say. I don't want no more and to be honest that never once came into my mind. I guess when you look what happened as well this week with Maxim Dadashev, there's no question he took the right option. There's mm. no point taking any chances. The same night. The same night and on a similar similar fight in that there was never any like one barrage of punches where the referee could have stopped it. But you know, Dominic probably in in your heart, Jason, you didn't want to stop, but in hindsight, looking back on what happened to Dadasov, it's probably the right call, and and you're still here to talk about the fight and and come back and and have a chance at redemption. A hundred percent, you know. I think um, you know it's uh, puts into perspective the sport that we do. Um, it puts into perspective how dangerous this sport is. You know, you get a lot of people that come in with a few pints and a hot dog and sit down and. Are roaring and shouting, just wanting blood and wanting knockouts and things like that. I think some people don't really understand that lives are on the line when they get in there. And, you know, it's, uh, I can only, I don't think I can imagine, you know, what that Russian fighter is, is going through his family wise and people like that there. Do you know what I mean? For for a man to lose his life in the ring, it's, a, it's an awful shame. And, you know, before I even heard the news of what happened, I already thanked Dominic Engel for what he did for me. You know, pulling me out of there. Like Dominic, I think, has been in 40, 50 plus world title fights as a cornerman, and, and he knows what he's talking about. And, you know, sometimes I'm too close to it. I, I, I'm in it. I'm in the heat of the moment. Yeah. Adrenaline. And, and it's hard for, for me to say no or for me to say I've had enough, you know, and, uh, you know, I was thankful of my corner on the night and obviously then especially what happened, that Russian fighter just puts everything into perspective. The condition you were in at the end of the ninth round, was that the first time in your career you'd been hurt like that? Um, as I says, I was never really hurt. Do you know what I mean? Like, I never... He hit me a few good body shots that hurt, but like the body shots probably hurt me more than the headshots. And I think it was only really two body shots near the end of the fight that he caught me. But apart from that, as I said, I was always there. I was always 100% focused. I never once lost my... Uh, I don't really, I, I've never been knocked out, I've never been knocked out, I don't know what it's like to, to, to get the feeling, so I can't really describe it, but I know for a fact that I, I was never really hurt, 
never dazed, dizzied, or anything like that there. So I knew I was taking too many shots, probably. And once I got back into the corner and I knew that I was going to need a knockout. And so, Jason, was it simply exhaustion? And was that from a lack of condition, or was it because you didn't expect that that hard or that type of fight? To be honest, Andy, I... I've had a few fights now where I I seemingly kind of get a bit tired after maybe four rounds, three rounds, obviously in the last one, but I'm not 100% sure where that's coming from. Um, if anybody that knows me, I live the life. I train as hard as any man in the gym. I do all the resting that I possibly need. I eat right. I don't cut no corners. Um, you know, honestly, that's something, Andy, that I have to look into myself because it's something that shouldn't be happening to me. You know what I mean? I'm a fit. I'm young. I do everything to the best of my ability. I don't cut no corners. And, is it something you've you spoken know, with Dominic Ingle about? As you say, it's not the first time it's happened then. Is it something during training camp you've spoken about, about trying to avoid that moment in the fight where you're just feeling a little bit shattered a little bit too early? Yeah, honestly, I think that I thought it might have been more like a kind of a, a mental kind of a thing that was going on. You know, maybe like I was like, I wasn't panicking or anything like that, but, you know, I've tried to maybe relax myself down a little bit more to be a little bit more patient, a little bit more calmer in there. And it's hard to do that. And with Suriano as well, do you know what I mean? It's hard to... It's hard to do, yeah. It's hard to make that adjustment. And when you're in there, it's like you're underwater, isn't it? It's like you're being, you're being suffocated. And yeah. just to find the time mentally to think and to try to recognise it while it's happened, it's... And to make those adjustments while you're being hit, it's so difficult. It definitely is. Do you know what I mean? And and I think that is that that's definitely one thing. I know that I'm very tall for the weight. Um, everything like that. I don't know if the weight is an issue. Um, I make it comfortably enough, but you know, maybe something that's that I have to look at. I know you, Andy. You, were massive for middleweight and you even went down to 154 at this stage and I honestly couldn't believe that and you know I'm just wondering was there ever any stage where your legs felt heavy making weight or mm. anything like that there did you ever find that came into into your career? Well Jason the, there's so many similarities in, in this fight with your fight with Johnson and my fight with Brian Beard of my first loss, it was in my 15th fight, no, this was your 17th fight, but um, similar stages in our careers against similar opponents, tough come forward fighters. And at that time, I, looking back on it, I didn't have the tools to deal with an opponent like that, who could take my best shots, but still keep coming back. And it was, yeah. it was that internal panic and that, you know, I was hitting with shots that would put most people down and this guy was just coming back at me and your legs are so heavy, you can't move, the body shots are affecting you. And there is that, there's that panic, and you're in the corner, I'm not sure if you experience this, but they say move, just move and box, move and box, and you're thinking, I wish I could. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, what's simple. happened internally is just a whole different thing. Um, I'm not sure, did you, did, did you have any of that, or did you feel that? Yeah, I actually had that in my fight against uh, Freddie Hernandez. Um, I remember, I actually remember in the second or third round just picking him and hitting him thinking, 
this is easy. I actually did think that this is very easy here. And I remember then at one stage my legs started getting very heavy and I was trying to get out of the way of shots. And my legs just were heavy. I was like, why can I not just move and get out of the way? I could see them coming, but I just couldn't get out of the way. You know, and, and it wasn't a reaction thing or it wasn't anything like that. It was just my legs felt awful heavy. That must be a pretty frightening moment. <laughs> yeah, well, well, you know, you kind of, well, there's only one thing you can do, and that's what, I don't know, Jason, you have to stand and fight, because as tall fight is your asset, is your movement, mm. and when, that, when that's gone, you have to kind of play into your weakness, which is just to stand and fight, and I don't know, that, that seemed like, it's a lot of the rounds later on in the fight for Jason, that kind of happened. You were standing, and you played into to, to Torino Johnson's hands. Yeah, 100%, and I know that. You know, I know that, and I kind of felt that in the fight. But as he says, I just couldn't get, I couldn't get out of there again. I couldn't get back to kind of doing what I what I wanted to do. And as I says, look, there's 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 probably three or four, maybe five key things that I have to look at and that I have to kind of assess and and look over and maybe look into more detail and um, just look at things to see if there's a. If, there is anywhere that I can improve or make something better because obviously there is somewhere. And I guess when you suffer a loss as well, everybody has an opinion on different parts of your career. And Andy, you're asking the question about Dominic Ingle. Matthew Macklin is obviously, I'm sure you've read this, has been very critical about your management at the moment, saying it's been yeah, absolutely shocking. Wee, I know I know Matthew very well. And, and I was a wee bit disappointed to see him come out so publicly. Like, you know what I mean? I, I have Matthew's number. And we've spoke about this before, and any time that I see him, you know, we chat about it. And, you know, I respect Matthew as a fighter the same way that I respect Andy as a fighter. You know, there were two lads that I looked up to very much, so coming up through my career. But, you know, I was just, I, honestly, I was a wee bit disappointed the way that he probably worded it and came out with it so soon after the fight. Um, I would have appreciated, you know, if he had it came to me on a more personal level because... To be honest, if he really wanted the help and was so so concerned about it, why didn't he just pick the phone up and call me? He didn't have to go out and fire it all over social media. But you know, I do understand some of the comments that he says. He does he does he does speak truth in some of the stuff that he says, but you know, I just be a bit disappointed in him the way that he came out with it and you know, as he says, he has my phone number, he could have just given me a call as we do chat on a person. Which stuff that he said would you sort of agree with? I know it's still very early days, but of the criticisms he's made about the management. From the outside, people would look at your career over the last while and see you've moved back to this side of the world, you're training with Dominic Ingle, you had that one fight in London, and I think everyone expected to see a lot more of you in this part of the world, but you're not even fighting on the East Coast, you're fighting on the West Coast of America. Like, Is this where you thought you would be at this stage of your career, at your 15 fights, still fighting? In some way, probably journeyman fighters on the West Coast of America, or did you think it was going to go a different route by now? Yeah, well, I think at the time I was 23 years of age, I turned professional. Um, my father was still very much so a big part of my career and my guidance and everything back when I was turning professional. And, you know, it, it was exciting. Golden Boy Promotions, LA, California. Um, I think I probably let the excitement and the build-up and everything get to me and maybe didn't look at it from a more 
maybe a more experienced. I should have maybe got some advice from a more experienced, seasoned manager, professional fighter, somebody that has kind of guided somebody like myself towards being a world champion or to a very successful boxing career. Um, of course, I would have loved to have fought more on the East Coast, more in Ireland, everything like that there. But at the end of the day, I signed with Golden Boy Promotions, who have predominantly 80% plus of their fights in California on the West Coast. They've had a few fights in the East Coast, and I have been on two of those cards um, in Boston. My management, I have a great relationship with my management. I have a great relationship with Golden Boy Promotions. I think everyone is getting a little bit confused just with the location. I think it was the location and where I was actually fighting and how my career was kind of being guided that has got everybody saying this, that, and whatever about my team. I think if, if I had that exact same team in Ireland, the UK, or on the East Coast, everything would be 100%. I think it was the fact that it was on the West Coast, so far away from everybody and everything like that, that everybody kind of says, well, what's Quigley doing over there? Why is he here? Why is he there? Why is he doing this? But at the end of the day, all this stuff is going to come up. All this stuff is going to come out when I've got a loss. Mm. You know what I mean? People are going to look at everything. If I had went in there and beat Turiano, went on then to fight maybe Jimmy Mungia if he moved up to middleweight on a Canelo undercard and a possible world title fight at the end of the year, early next year, then everyone will be saying, wow, oh, Quigley's doing unreal. He's fighting out in Vegas. He's fighting out in LA. And then possible big homecoming fight in Ireland would have been amazing. But look, these are the way things go. These are the way things have panned out for me. When I look back now already on my career, I have made my debut in the MGM Grand Las Vegas on the Canelo Lara undercard. I've fought in the T-Mobile Arena, Canelo Can undercard. I have all these great experiences of whenever the grand arrivals are at the MGM Grand Hotel, you really go out the back of the hotel, jump on a limo and drive two minutes round to the very front. You know, I've gained a lot of experience. I've gained a lot of learning throughout my career. A lot of it very hard and difficult um, road that I have went down to gain that and to learn that. But we need to look at the positives and the positives are we have this loss now that we can turn around and maybe make a few changes put my career maybe in a different path and uh, get to where I have to get to. You mentioned Golden Boy Promotions, did they give any indication what the next what the next step is for you or what, what the road back is? I've, I haven't got to speak to them yet I've spoke to Robert Diaz and Robert just spoke to me firstly and foremost on a friend, personal level of how I was feeling, everything like that there, take as much time as I need, have a think about what I want to do and come back and we'll have a talk. But, you know, Robert just spoke to me first and says, if there's anything ever that you want to talk about, first and foremost on a personal level, just come and talk to me and then we can fill in where we need to go and where we want to go with you after that. But Golden Boy, as it says, have been massive help, massive support for me. And I've always and only had 
good dealings with Golden Boy and my management team. Um, so really, it's just a matter of me and where my head's at now over the next few weeks, where I want to go and what happens next. And I'll go to talk to Golden Boy and my management team about that. Andy, when Jason talks about getting advice, you're probably as well positioned as anybody to give advice on what to do from here because a defeat, I guess, does give an opportunity to recalibrate your goals, your ambitions, your expectations of where your career can go. When you suffered that defeat then at the exact same stage, 15 fight to Brian Vera, was it a case of changing a lot of things, doing things, working harder or working smarter or working differently, changing backroom staff? Working differently. And it's, it's mental as well as physical. Um, but I'm not sure how Jason's been, I'm so, it's very soon for you, but I, immediately I, I recognised that how people responded to me after a loss was completely different to how it was when I was undefeated. In what way? I'm not sure, they, wouldn't, they weren't as, like, as, in, as encouraging or they weren't as, you know, as excited by you, especially within the boxing world. And you know, all the people who were patting you on the back when you were winning, Oh, and no, well done, champ. Jason's in America. They were gone. You know, I'm not sure. If, I know it's that very early, Jason, but have you, have you felt any of that yet? That you know, you're meeting people on the street, and it's a different response, <laughs> obviously. But how does that feel for you? To to be honest, Andy, I've noticed over the last few years, and it's probably because of my injury, that the boxing game, and I don't know if I'm going to be. Um, very popular after this, but the boxing game doesn't really hold too many good personalities in the sport. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of people in this sport that are in it for one thing, and that's to make a few pounds and to do it whatever way they got to do it. And it's very difficult and it's very hard to find genuine, caring, good people in the sport of boxing. And to be honest, for a while that made me think like. What's this game all about? You know, it's a very selfish, it's a very lonely, it's a very stab in the back kind of game. And I'm talking about this not really from my own experience, but from a lot of experience that I've seen other fighters go through. And I think it's, um, you know, I think it's it's one of the only sports out there. I think that they can have these kind of personalities, they can have these kind of people in the sport, and can they can get away with these kind of things. They can like, thrive, never mind just get away with it. <laughs> yeah, like, you know what I mean? Like 100%, it's, it's, it's really, to be honest, there's not a great, or there's not a nice energy around boxing um, as, as, as far as people go and things like that, you know, everybody's kind of, and, that, and that's natural enough, it's a fighting, it's a dog eat dog kind of a sport. But there's a lot of people out there just that that are in it for themselves and they don't care about anybody else and you know what I mean. It, it's it's difficult to, to thrive in an environment like that. And that's what I've noticed over the past while and I think maybe that I noticed a lot of it, Andy, through my injury. You know, I was kind of forgotten about for a while and but at the same time I actually said to to my partner, I says I'm so lucky and I'm so thankful that I don't go around the bars right and, and talking about I'm this and that and whatever because I would get so much backlash now after getting beat in my fight. You know, I'm happy that a lot of people say that after you get beat, 
there's nobody texting, there's nobody calling. And uh, when you won, everybody's texting, everybody's calling. But I have to say now, and Andy, I really appreciated your text and your words of advice after my fight. But you were one of of a few people, Andy, that 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 have texted me and that have been very supportive. And I think it's all in the environment that you create around yourself and the people that you do carry around yourself. And I think that's a big lesson that I learned over the years is just to have honest, genuine people around you. They might be fi- they might be hard to find, but if you can get them, they're well worth having in your life. The thing that I didn't have when I had that loss in, in the immediate aftermath, when you're kind of in a spin and you're trying to come to terms with it, is someone who could put it into context. And I know I had Emmanuel Stewart, who had been through it all, but he was in it as much as I was, and he was hurting as much he as I was. So yeah. <laughs> but you have to just put it into context and it is one loss in a fight that on another day you would have won had you boxed differently or made some adjustments and that's all it is you know and when did you get that context how long did it, it take it took a long time it wasn't like i didn't i fought last to Vera in in 2007 it wasn't until i had a rematch with him in 2011 so you know <laughs> 11 years later you didn't later. put this in the text message no, did you no but I, like to jason that's all it is, and it's how you frame it and how you respond to it. It's not, it's not the end of the world by any means. And I'm sure you only have to look at Maxim Dadasov to put it into context in that sense, in, 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 the, in the most starkest terms. But in terms of your career, and it's the first time I've ever heard the term put to me when, it, when someone did say to me, it was just a bump in the road. I'd never heard that expression before, but after my first loss, someone said it to me. But that's really all it is, and you will learn so much from it, and it's how you respond. And, and improve from it. But like, and then saying that, like, would you jump into an immediate rematch with Johnson now, or how, how soon do you want to rematch with him? There's, and I'm sure you know that there's, there's two personalities inside us, especially as a boxer. There's the fighter that says to me that, yeah, I want to get him back. I want to step back in the ring. I, I want to I wanna avenge that loss. But then, I think that's my heart speaking, you know what I mean? The pride and the passion and everything like that. But I think that one, obviously, in my head, you know, I know it would probably be silly stepping back into an immediate rematch with Turiano. I think there's, there's a lot of rooms for improvement. There's a lot of room for improvement, not only in my game, but, you know, in training and everything like that there that, that I need to look at, look at and look into. And when I do that, and get maybe two or three more fights, maybe even four, and put them into practice what I think that I need to improve on and try and start working on those things. Then getting into a rematch with Toriano, of course, I would definitely love to avenge the loss at some stage, but definitely not jumping back into a rematch. You're definitely going to get back in the ring, are you? Uh, obviously, it's so soon since the defeat, and it probably hasn't fully sunk in yet, but the way you're talking a little bit about being disillusioned with the sideshow of boxing, and like it is such a setback to come to terms with. You're passionate to get back in and get everything back on track? Yeah, without a doubt, you know, like, obviously, after the loss, and as I says, you know, after the injury and things like that there, as I said, the, the boxing world and the boxing environment isn't the most friendliest, isn't the most kindness, and I, I'm not talking to have that. Like I know that that's the sport that we're in. As I said, it's a dog-eat-dog sport. It's a, 
you need to be um you need to be a certain mindset and you need to be a certain type of a person to be dealing with all that. And I've only really came to terms with it recently. And don't get me wrong, there's been a few negative thoughts that went through my head. I was like, especially after seeing that lad pass away as well, the Russian boxer, you know, it's like, is this sport even worth it? Like, do you know what I mean? But it doesn't be long for me to click my fingers and, for that we fire to, to start burning again inside my belly and, and, and telling myself that this is what I love to do, do you know what I mean? This is what I've trained my whole life to do and this is what excites me. This is These are the things that get me up in the morning, get me into the gym and, and want to get inside those ropes. So don't get me wrong, there's been a few negative thoughts that went through my head and everything like that, but there's definitely a fire still burning inside me. All right, good to hear. Jason, win or lose, you're always very, very good with your time. Best of luck uh, over the next few weeks and uh, coming to terms with this and also obviously probably planning a few changes as well. I'm sure we'll uh, check in with you in the next couple of months and see how all that's going. Mighty stuff. Thanks for having me, lads. Talk to you soon. Thanks a lot. Jason Quigley there after suffering the first defeat of his pro career. Difficult couple of months ahead. It is, yeah, and it's still very, very, like, he's still coming to terms with it, I think. Mm. I think a lot of you, when things do settle, and like he's still taking calls from us, I'm sure coming off this call, it'll probably be go some way into him realizing what's actually happened. That he's get take, he has to answer these questions now. What went wrong? What do you do next? Is there a way back? Even to consider retire? You know, do you sit consider fighting again? And he probably, you know, he's probably always come off these calls with us and been so positive. <laughs> yeah. He's probably said, "Oh, Jesus, I'll think twice about taking the next call." <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's it, it, but it. it Look, he can sit down and he has to he has to evaluate, he has to s- do some soul searching. But it's up to him and how he responds. And he's he's the master of his destiny now at this stage. Mm. Just before we finish up, then I know you were on OTP AM yesterday and you were talking about uh, Maxim Dadashev and you were on off the brawl as well, which you recorded before he actually died. At that case, he was just seriously ill. Like, can we read? Should we talk deeper into this about? aside from just the obvious dangers of the sport, when you look at the fight and uh, his trainer, Buddy McGurk, calling an end to the fight at the end of the 11th round, like, was there anything anyone could have done better? It's hard to place blame, especially when it's something like this. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's something has to be, there has to be, I don't know, something has to be looked at. And I, I've talked about maybe a cultural shift more so in terms of, how how much a loss affects you when you do lose in boxing because it, it will often take you years to get back to the same position. Like I, I spoke, how it took me four years to get a rematch with Vera. And this never say die, and that's why fighters fight so much. Mm. And even Jason talked about, even though he was taking a lot of punishment in the fight, not wanting to quit, not wanting to keep fighting. Because you're fully aware of how big a setback it is yeah, if you do and, lose. And, and a lot of times you're hungry, you're fighting for your for your future, for your family, as Maxim does have, had openly stated that he, his desire was to box, to become get an American green card, and bring his family from Russia. Um, and what, what? So all of that happens, and we have cases like this where fights go on too long, where fighters take too much punishment, and it results in something tragic like this—a death. Where, in terms of MMA, we'll, you'll often see p- fighters tapping out, and they're not shamed. There's no public shaming in, in terms of being called a quitter. This, this week, past weekend, a fighter called David Allen fought David Price in London. Mm. And David Allen quit after the 10th round, I think 10 rounds of punishment. He couldn't see out of one eye and he was called a quitter online. He got a lot of stick online. 
he himself had called Anthony Joshua a quitter. So he was actually part, you know, part of it. Yeah. But he pulled himself out and he went to, he actually had to be taken to hospital after the fight. But frankly for him, everything turned out okay. So I think in terms of- Where does of, that culture shift come from? You know, you, calling fighters cowards is, is the furthest thing, is, is the worst thing that a fighter can be called and it should never happen because by, be, by definition, they're, they're the furthest thing from a coward because they're stepping into the ring to fight another man, you know, so. I just think there has to be some sort of cultural change that, that we, boxing can take some, some lessons from MMA and, and the fact that if a fighter quits when there's no hope, or when he's fighting against hope, can be one of them. Yeah. A second fighter has actually died uh, just today. Hugo Santillan, Argentinian boxer, just 23 after injuries he suffered at the weekend against Eduardo Javier Abreu. So it's obviously something that's going to be very much in the news over uh, uh, the coming days. Like, and, and listen, like another, story that's broken the another story that's broken today, We've, me and Ron Ron ran uh, off the brawl last night and we were singing the praises of Dinny White and yeah. there's a lot of circulation and rooms, not confirmed yet, but there hasn't been any statement to the contrary that he's tested positive for the fight that he had at the weekend against Oscar Rivas. And when you see people, not just him, but Anthony Joshua's original opponent um, for his fight, Jerome Miller, who failed te six tests for six different mm. substances. And he's been being brought back in. He's been talked about as a potential opponent for Tyson Fury now in the future. Like when there's no, well, look when, at there's the no star the when there's no consequences, when there's no consequences. Canelo, look yeah. at the biggest star in the sport. Two years ago, he was serving a ban, and now he's back, and he's the, the highest paid athlete in, 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 mm. in, in, in one of the highest paid in total sports, but the highest paid bo in, in boxing history. Like, when there's no consequences for, for doping, what, the what, what is there to stop them from doing it? When the advantages are so, so much more that you might get away with it and that you, you can reap rewards in terms of career, but also financial, you know, when there's so much money involved. Like boxing has to come down hard on, on, on doping, it has to. It has to be a, a lifetime ban for anybody who fails to Because you're, you're, you are actually endangering somebody's life mm. when you step in that ring and you, you're looking for an unfair advantage. Yeah, I suspect we're going to be talking to you about this a lot more over it's the coming It's not something I want to be talking about. It's something that you have to talk is, about, particularly with this Dillian White case. There where has to be something done, like drastically. Talking about multiple sources confirming that an A sample taken before the fight now, obviously, it takes a little bit more time for the B sample to come through, and that's what everybody's waiting on at the moment. But if they knew before the fight that's, about that's the A the sample, report. And it's there's from, going to be huge questions. The report questions. came from Thomas Hauser, who is one of the most respected boxing writers and reporters in the world. So I would say they're, they're quite, you know, the well-founded rumours. Yeah, well, we'll uh, wait for the B sample, and we'll talk to you in like full about Dillian it. Dillian is a guy we've had him on the show, mm. and he's been... You couldn't meet, ask to talk to a nice or meet well, I was listening to and a great fighter. Yeah. But if he has done this, it would be such a disappointment, not just to, to, to the whole boxing community. Yeah, I was listening to Mike Costello on Five Live on Friday night talking about Dillian White and his career and in some ways being the forgotten man of the heavyweight division is not getting the chances he deserved. Well, uh, I think everyone will be looking at him in a totally different way if the B sample backs up what the A sample proved. Andy, thanks as always for coming to the studio. Off the ball. Find us on Twitter at Off the Ball. News Talk 106 to 108.